0: This morning, we're going to be looking at how we can use the Holy Spirit in mission. We've been focusing on, on different actions of the Holy Spirit over the past six weeks in all different areas, and Mark was preaching last week on, on that, on the up of using the Holy Spirit in, in worship, we're doing different actions. Today, we're looking at the idea of go, of how we use the supernatural Holy Spirit in the going, in the going out. To be honest. Most of us will be you know, comfortable, in, I think, in Christ's church, of the idea of using the Holy Spirit inside the church. We're comfortable with the idea of the Holy Spirit as a comforter or even using the, the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit to build up people in the church. But this morning, we're looking at using the, the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit to reach beyond the church, to go into Lord Street. To help the people out there. You know, to build up the church for those not in the church yet. To build the church up by bringing people into the church to build it up. We're looking at using the Holy Spirit to help us going. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that scary. Uh, I think most of us, or definitely me, I find it more comfortable praying for Fred here than praying for Joe Bloggs. Out there, I find it more comfortable, you know, having a word of prophecy for somebody I know than for a complete stranger. It's a bit scary going out there, but let me tell you, it isn't it half exciting going out there and taking God with you when you go out on on mission? And we can see from our reading that Jesus commands us to do that. We can see that really, you know, going out and using the supernatural signs and ones, and supernatural gifts, it's what Jesus did all the time. I want to read you uh, a a quote from John Wimber. John Wimber is a phenomenal guy and he wrote this book uh, called Power Evangelism and he says this on page 12, I do not believe it is enough for Christians to gather information, understand new facts, even think differently about the supernatural in scripture if it does not affect how we live. The purpose of all the learning is to experience and advance the kingdom of God. The purpose of all the learning about the supernatural gifts of the Spirit, but living life with the Spirit, is to advance the kingdom of God. This book is a fantastic book. I would encourage you all to buy it. Power Evangelism by John Wimber. He started the Vineyard Movement. He's a phenomenal guy. Well, he was. He's dead. He's dead. Uh, he 's a phenomenal guy uh, written many books, and this one is a great starting place for understanding about using the supernatural out there on the streets in the world with your neighbors at work uh, and you can get it dead cheap now because it 's thirty years old uh, uh, so you can is that a bad thing mary Should, should I promote your son 's no i won 't do that no i won 't do that no uh, um, but there 's a potential problem, although I agree completely with what John Wimber said, there's a problem that we can sometimes have in our own minds. And that's because of something called worldviews. How we view the world. And we we all have worldviews. A worldview is a a culture's outlook or attitude towards life. It's mainly subconscious. You know, we don't kind of learn a worldview. We absorb a a worldview. And a worldview explains... Uh, how things are and why things are and the thing is, we live in Britain and we've grown up subconsciously, unwittingly and the vast majority of will have adopted the, the western world view and the western world view is different from the eastern world view it's different from a Christian world view the western world view precludes the supernatural it says we base things on materialism you know, things that can be tested and proven, that's what's real. It's thing on, on rationalism. Reason is the chief guide to life. So uh, you'll probably be able to relate in yourself to your upbringing, to your tuition, to just how you feel that we base rational and material decisions as the top. That's the ultimate. Empirical testing. However, that goes against a supernatural worldview. It came out of the Reformation and the Enlightenment with all the scientific development and it's influenced massively how we think. But it isn't everything. It shouldn't be only how we think. I've not got a problem with thinking logically as long as we can also think supernaturally as well. But our brains have have been preset, most of us, in that cultural viewpoint. And we need to allow the biblical viewpoint to shine a light on that cultural viewpoint and correct it where it's wrong. You see, the gifts of the Spirit don't fit in to a rational world viewpoint. And therefore it's very easy for the world and for Christians to reject it. In fact, that's why some Christians have developed or manufactured a a doctrine that says the supernatural gifts don't exist now. Because it fits their world view. I was brought up with that. I was brought up being told that the supernatural gifts don't exist. There's only two sources of power in this world, good and evil. And if the supernatural is happening, it's not from God, it's from the devil. Well, let me tell you, that is crazy. When I was at university, I still had that viewpoint at the start. And the second year, I became the assistant leader of the Christian Union. And I met with this guy who was the leader of the Christian Union for prayer. And we prayed together. And I was 19 years old, and he started speaking in tongues. And I remember thinking, I remember thinking this, you're either of the devil, or I've got my theology wrong. That was the two options. And I very quickly came to the conclusion that I had my theology wrong. You see, you know, I have seen in my own life the supernatural workings of the devil time and time again. And I know that God walks supernaturally now. But we often say, you know, let's explain God's, Let's be logical. Let's be rational. And there's no problem in explaining God logically and rationally. However, I want us to add on to that using the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm not discarding logic or reasoning. I'm adding on to it the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. You probably don't need more knowledge to be an effective evangelist, just more reliance on the Holy Spirit. You may think you'll never be ready, and you're probably right, but that's not a reason not to go. We go now with the power of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus' Holy Spirit is there with us. You see, if we think about it and look at the biblical method for evangelism, I suppose we get it really in in Matthew chapter 4, the very, very start of Jesus' ministry. And I'm not going to go through lots of verses because I could probably quote 50 verses. But here's just at the very, very start of Jesus' ministry. Jesus begins to preach. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread over all Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralysed, and he healed them. We know that is what Jesus did. He proclaimed, and then he demonstrated. He demonstrated the power of the kingdom, he revealed the kingdom, and then he taught Teaching, demonstrating, demonstrating, teaching. That is how he went. That is how the disciples went. That is what they learned from Jesus. And that is what they did. We're told that in the gospel as well. That's what the 72 did when he sent out the 72. They healed the sick and they proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. And then did a little bit of a study in Acts to see what you know what happened in the early church. Well, let me tell you, in the early church, it is filled with that. You know, there's 10 different signs and wonders used in the book of Acts. On nine specific occasions, it says that the disciples used signs and wonders. On many other occasions, they did use signs and wonders, but it doesn't specifically say it. So, for example, in Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John went to pray... And they met that lame man on the way. And he asked for arms and held out his palms. And what did Peter say? He said, I've not got any money, but I can heal you. And he healed him. And the guy jumped up and danced away. And everybody who saw him went, wow, that that guy was paralysed. And now he's healed. Praise God. That's signs and wonders. Although it's not referred to as signs and wonders. Let me just read you at the start of Acts Acts chapter 5, just one example of what it does say, Acts chapter 5 and verse 12, the apostles performed many miracles, signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, they were a bit scared at their supernatural power, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought their sick in the streets and I'll stop. We we know what happened as a result of that. Loads of people were healed. And we get that all the way throughout Acts. Fourteen times in Acts, signs and wonders are directly linked to preaching and the expansion of God's kingdom. It's hard to read Acts. It's hard to read how the early church did church without coming to the conclusion that mission is most effective with signs and wonders we cannot come to any other conclusion but what do we do what does Rob Milton do I'm a preacher I'm an evangelist you may say I preach I preach I teach I sometimes tell stories about other people using signs and wonders. I refer to wonderful people in books who are alive today and some not, who use signs and wonders. And rarely do I get involved in doing it. What about you? Are you different from me? You know, we are called to get involved. And Jesus in Mark chapter 8 sets up the cost of discipleship. The cost involved in preaching the gospel. And he says it could be costly. And we don't take that on board. One of the reasons that we don't want to get involved in praying for healing or giving words of prophecy or going out there in the signs and wonders is it might be embarrassing. It might not work. We might get embarrassed. The cost of discipleship I'm not willing to maybe get embarrassed. Wow. We're not going to get tortured. We're not going to get killed. And guess what? You might not get embarrassed. It just might work. It just might work. Because it seems to work for other people. And it has worked for me. I want to read you a quote from John Wimber. This is what he says on page 22 of his book. Entering the kingdom is like enlisting in the navy, but often the kingdom is likened to a Caribbean cruise on a luxury liner. We would turn that offer down. Sorry, who would turn that offer down? So people change into their leisure clothes, grab their suntan lotion, and saunter down to the docks. What a shock when they see a large grey ship with numbers painted on the side. Even more shocking is learning that the ship is loaded with guns, cannons, jets and helicopters. It's a warship. It's not a luxury cruise liner. The same is true of this kingdom in this age. It's a warship navigating into enemy enemy territory. You know, a couple of years ago, I'm not sure, it was either me or Phil Porter. It was one of the two of us. It doesn't really matter who it was. We, We had a vision And the vision was that Christchurch as a battleship. But we were a battleship, so that sounds good. But we were stuck in the harbour. And we were cleaning the ship, making it really nice, and we were going on more training to be more efficient at firing the guns, more efficient with our defenses, and we were never leaving the port. We grasped the idea that we weren't a cruise liner. But we hadn't got round to getting the battleship where it should be, out there fighting the enemy. And our enemy is the devil, who prowls around out there, trying to convince people that Jesus Christ is not real. And our job is to be a battleship, not in the port, but out there, you know, fighting the devil and revealing God's love. So, how can we do that? How could we use the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit to help us in our battle against the powers of darkness? Well, I'm going to go through maybe three different things. Because at the half nine service I said that and I didn't because I preached an awful long time (laughs) and I ran out of time. So we'll see how we get on. We'll see how we get on. I want to make it clear here. You know, I am not standing here preaching this as an expert. I'm standing here preaching this as somebody who believes this is what we need to do. I have dabbled in this. I have tried to do this. I have had some success and some failure. But I'm 100% convinced that we are called to do this in the 21st century, as we're called to do all the time, to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. So the first thing I want to talk about is what I would refer to as power evangelism or prophetic evangelism. So let me explain what I'm talking about. It's It's about sharing the love of God with complete strangers and using the supernatural gifting of God to achieve it. Using words of knowledge, words of wisdom, using words of prophecy, uh, whatever it may be, whatever God gives you to pass on to that person in order to reach them and reveal God's love for them. So let me give you an example uh, from, I've got lots of examples. I'm going to give you another example from, from, uh, from John Wimber's book. He got on a plane to return home after preaching. It was a three hour flight, looking forward to sleeping. And as he sat down, he looked across to the aisle on the other side. There were two seats there, and a man sat there. And when he looked at the man's face, he saw the word adulterer on the man's forehead, which made him take a second look. He looked again and he thought, Yeah, it does say that. And it's not a tattoo, obviously. It'd be a strange tattoo. Uh, and he thought, Yeah, it, it does say that. What, what am I seeing? He stared a bit too much and the the man said to him, hey mate, what are you looking at? Understandably. And and then God said to him, "Eh, tell him you know about Jane. And he he said to the man, I know about Jane. He heard from God and he responded. And the man went, oh, his chin hit the ground. He said, upstairs now. And they were on this plane which had an upstairs bar. They went upstairs and the guy was angry, agitated, a bit concerned and to cut a long story short, the guy was having an affair with a woman called Jane uh, and uh, John said to him, John Wimber said to him, listen, uh, God knows about it and if you don't sort it out, there's going to be dire consequences. Uh, an hour went past, at the end of that hour, the guy was a Christian. Uh, because of the instant impact of the supernatural God in his life, he said to John, what should I do? He said, we go downstairs and you tell your wife. And he went, what? He said, yeah, that's what we do. So he went downstairs, he told his wife. By the end of the flight, his wife was a Christian as well. That's, that's from not to ten. That's, that's the, the salvation course done instantly. Not to ten, two people into God's kingdom because of a supernatural revelation. That's power evangelism, that's prophetic evangelism, that's receiving a word of God and passing it on. Jesus did that all the time. Jesus went to the well in John chapter four and he met a woman. And he told her things he shouldn't know. And the woman said, you tell me things I don't know. <laughs> you shouldn't know. How do you know these things? It's called prophecy, isn't it? It's called receiving from God and passing it on. And the woman left transformed. She left transformed. It happens all the time in the Bible. In Acts chapter 10, we get the story of Peter and Cornelius. Peter receives a vision from God. And he speaks to Cornelius about it. And Cornelius becomes a Christian. And receives the Holy Spirit. And they have a praise party. In fact, even before that, God prophetically spoke to Cornelius when he wasn't even a Christian. Yeah, God can do that. We cannot limit God. God can do what he wants. So, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that prophecy can convince an unbeliever of their sin and can be a powerful tool for evangelism. Another guy called Mark Stibbe has written an entire book about this, about prophetic evangelism. It's about 10 years old, probably not as cheap as the other one, but still a great book to get, right? Prophetic Evangelism by Mark Stibbe. He's a guy that has put a whole lot of theology and a whole lot of thought into it to expand on my five minutes. I was speaking to Mary during the interval, and I said to Mary, I thought I'm going to write this down because it sounds good. I said, I'm the hors d'oeuvre. These guys are the banquets right? You know, what you get from me is a taster. You can get these books and get the whole banquet, get the whole nine, nine course banquet in these books to understand more about the subject, you know. And, and in uh, prophetic evangelism, it's when we give God the opportunity to do whatever he wants to do. Whatever it is, we open our ears to God and we step out in faith. God tells us and then we go, which is far better than us going and saying, God bless me. Yeah, No, no We wait for God, God tells us And then we go, far safer way To do it Let me tell you a couple of stories A good one and a bad one So my son Ben comes to me one day and he says Dad, I've been praying and God has given me A picture of a woman At Manchester airport, she's in a wheelchair She's got a yellow jumper And she's called Laura And uh, I need to go and speak to her We were going away on holiday the next day via manchester airport and obviously me being a godly spiritual you know guy i said to god i said to god i said to ben don't be ridiculous ben we're going on holiday tomorrow we can't be doing other stuff he said no no i I need to do this i said well we'll be late we can't get split up we've got to go we can't go in all different ways he said i can't do it hey and then he came back to me and said it's okay paul gearing will take me oh guilt trip or what you know and I thought, oh, no, no, we're not having that. No, okay, we'll go early. So as a family, all five of us, we went to Manchester Airport and Paul Geering came as well. And he's uh, not in here. He'll be getting big-headed, won't it? he? Uh, he's a fantastic guy, isn't he? And we went to Manchester Airport. To cut a long story short, you won't be surprised to find out that, that Ben met a woman in a wheelchair with a yellow jumper and said to her, excuse me, is your name Laura? And she said, well, my name's Lara. And we said... That's good enough. Uh, uh, he said, I've got a message from God for you. You know, he had the, he had the guts to respond to that message. I've got a friend. Uh, <laughs> I've also got a daughter. <laughs> I've got a, a friend who, whenever she gets on a bus, um, says to God at the bus stop, God, who should I sit next to? Who do you want me to speak to today? Give me a word, a a picture, a vision, a prophecy, a word or not, whatever it may Give me something to share with somebody today. And before she sits down, she has decided her and God who she is going to speak to. That's prophetic evangelism. That is wonderful. That's a daily attitude towards life. We can do this when we're at the bakery, when we're at the school gate, when we're in the office, when we're building roofs. We can do this. We can be saying to God, God, have you got anything for me to say to somebody else? Can I allow the supernatural to penetrate my daily life? Can I be a force for you where I am? That's prophetic evangelism. I sometimes do it in a more what I would say, uh, program-wise, I've sometimes gone on to Lord Street with the only purpose of hearing from God to speak to strangers. I remember once I did it, I was sat at the bus stop and this man came and sat next to me and uh, I said, okay God, you know, that's all I do. I say, okay God, what have you got for me? You know, what have you got me to pass on for this guy? That's my my, my line that I use. I find myself and God are quite casual together and I said, God, what have you got? And I, I felt I heard the words Canada. You know, he's going to emigrate to Canada. So I plucked up my courage. I'm, I'm scared. I'm, you know, I'm vulnerable. I'm not wanting really to do it. It's a battle. Uh, well, it's for me anyway. And I, and I turned to the guy and said, Excuse me, mate. I know it's a bit strange, but I've just been sat here praying. I believe God's told me that you're going to emigrate to Canada. And he went, No. <laughs> and I went, All right, have you just come back from Canada? No, I've never been to Canada. Oh, are you going on holiday to Canada? No. And I kind of regained my self-control a bit and I said, Oh, sorry, I'm really sorry. Just, just forget that. I, I thought I was going somewhere and obviously I wasn't. And he said to me, are you telling me you were sat there praying and God was chatting to you? Oh yeah, yeah, I do that quite a bit. No, tell me more. I spent 20 minutes chatting to that guy. His bus came and he was the bus driver, so he had to go on. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, It was cut short. Maybe not short. Maybe it was the right time. Whether that's the divine appointment, I, I don't mind what you call it. It is us stepping out in faith. Doesn't it doesn't always go right. Guess what? I was a little bit embarrassed for 20 seconds. But at the end of the conversation, I wasn't embarrassed. I can cope with that. I can cope with that. I look at what Christ did for me. I can cope with that. I look at what happens to people if they do not know the Lord Saviour, the Lord as their Saviour. The eternal consequence of people is they do not get to spend eternity with God. I'll take that risk of being a little bit embarrassed. Because when you reveal the supernatural God to people, it has results. And that's what we're called to do. How else could we do it? We can do it by praying for healing. Yesterday, a bunch of us, you know about this, I've been harping on about it for a few months. But yesterday we did it. We went out onto the streets and we prayed for people. We prayed for about 30 people yesterday. Just seven of us. You know, I wish it was 77 or 72. Maybe that'd be more. Yeah, let's get 72 next time. That'd be a good biblical number, wouldn't it? We'll go out in twos. We had seven of us. We went out and we prayed for about 30 people. And we had great prayers, great conversations. And for some people, we prayed for physical healing. We believe in a God that physically heals. And when he physically heals, it really causes people to look up and take notice. This guy, Robbie Dawkins, has written a book about this. It's called Do What Jesus Did. Now, this one only came out about last year, maybe a year and a half ago. So, you have to pay full price for this one. You have to splash out about 10 quid. Yeah? This is a gobsmacking, phenomenal book about a guy who lives his life just doing what Jesus did. And he does just do what Jesus did. He's out on the streets all around the world. You can look at his video channel, his YouTube channel. He runs a church and he heals people all over the place. He hears from God and he just does it. We believe in a God that heals. I cannot say I've got a complete understanding of why he doesn't heal all the time. But God heals. I remember having a a discussion, won't call it an argument, a discussion about somebody about whether God heals or not. I was driving my car on the motorway and I obviously got heavily engrossed in the discussion because an articulated lorry overtook me. That's how slow I was driving. And articulated lorry overtook me in the middle of our argument, discussion and the name on the lorry was H.E. Heels. He heels. And I said, hang on a minute. End of discussion. Eh? I believe that was a supernatural uh, uh, happening at, at that point in time. That God planned it—a a God moment. I've been healed. I have prayed for many people, and they haven't been healed. Ah, oh. I have prayed for many people, and they have been healed. Yay! What's my conclusion? We pray for healing. That's my only conclusion. Well, I've got other ones, but that's the most important one. We pray for healing. I had a broken uh, foot. I broke it playing football. See my own fault. I had the the x ray, it was broken, it was in a temporary cast because I was on holiday at New Wine. Good reason to go. Uh, I came back, went to Southport Hospital, they re x rayed it, it wasn't broken. In the meantime, I'd been prayed for, hands anointed on me, even oil put on me. Hey, and I was healed. I've been healed before, a few times. God heals, and when we take that out into the world and we pray for people your friends, your neighbours, your work people, whoever it is, and they are healed by God, you have an instant discussion about the supernatural God and how much he loves them and what he did for them and what he wants from them. Even if they are not healed, we pray with love and compassion and concern and we still reveal God's love. It's a way that we can take church on mission. Um, I'm going to go on a bit. Okay, Here's the third way. This third way is for people who are a bit more bold. Now, maybe you, we can definitely aim for this. Robbie Dawkins in his book talks about forth-telling. And he gives an example of forth-telling. He was in New York on holiday. He was outside at the big m and M store in, in New York. And he saw this woman who was uh, crying... And he went across, and this woman was on holiday there as well, and she was crying because she'd lost her daughter. And she said, "You don't understand. I've got to get on the bus in four minutes. We've got to go to the airport. We're, we're heading off today back to South America. I, I've got, I, I've got to get on this bus." And he said, "Okay, let me pray." And he prayed a strange prayer. He prayed the prayer that kind of Jesus does in the Bible. Dead annoying people do that, isn't it? And he said, "God," he said, "I, I declare before you that I announce that." I can't remember the girl's name. Let's call her, let's call her Chris. Uh, Lord, I just pray for Chris that she will hear this command that she comes to the front of the m M&M and store where her Nana is waiting for her because she needs to leave now. Amen. And they waited. And two minutes later, this nine-year-old girl ran up to her Nana. And she went, wow, She said, what made you come here? She said, I was in another store and across the Tannoy, they made an announcement. And the announcement was that I had to go and come to the MM store and stand in front of it in two minutes because my nana was waiting for me. That's impressive, isn't it? That's impressive. You know, I fancy a bit of that. You know, I fancy that. That is prophecy with with faith. You know, is that possible? It's definitely possible because he did it and he does it, he speaks forth. It's what Jesus did. The disciples are petrified and Jesus says cease calm down calm down and guess what they did they did you know I I I think in this area we really are only dabbling with our understanding of the power of God that he's made available to us through his Holy Spirit I do not think any of us definitely not me can grasp what God has in store for us. But I want to encourage us to start trying. I want to encourage us, not by my strength, not by my power, but by thy spirit, says the Lord. I want to encourage us as a church and using an individual to step up and step out. Final question for you. Are you a rabbit or are you an elephant? I don't know, but let's run through a some statistics about reproduction. Is Bethany still here? Elephants are fertile four times a year. They only have one baby every pregnancy. It takes 22 months gestation period. And they're not sexually mature for 18 years. So in every three year cycle, you know, a, a, an elephant couple can have one baby. Rabbits... Are almost continually fertile. They have about seven babies every pregnancy. They give birth after one month, and after four months, a newborn is sexually mature. That means that in three years, 476 million rabbits. When it comes to evangelism, I respect most of us are elephants. We think about evangelism maybe three or four times a year and if one person becomes a Christian every three years, we're ecstatic. I want to encourage us, when it comes to evangelism, to be more like rabbits. I want us to be continually expecting the movement of the Holy Spirit, continually fertile. I want us to realise that you are mature enough You know, we can go on course upon course upon course upon course. If you remember Simon's talk from a few weeks ago, he said discipleship is not about learning until you get to a position and then you start going. It's an ongoing situation. We learn, we go, we learn, we go, we learn, we go on a daily basis. We learn, we go, we come back, we learn more. We go, we come back, we learn more. I wonder if that attitude to evangelism and maybe this church may not of 476 million people in it in, in three years' time, but maybe more than one extra person, if we have that attitude to go in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to stop there because I've talked enough. I want to, just, uh, I want to ask the, the prayer team to go to the, the, the front and the band to come back on to the, the platform. I want to encourage you this morning to, to make a stance And to say, from now on, I am going to go in the power of the Spirit. That doesn't mean that you have to be doing anything fancy. It means when you're on the bus tomorrow, when you're in work tomorrow, when you're at the school gate tomorrow, wherever you are tomorrow, you are saying to God, God, what do I do for you? Give me a word. Give me a word of knowledge, a word of power. You know, whatever it is, you know, allow me to reveal your supernatural presence to whoever it is. And we can do that. We can do that. Whether you've been a Christian for two months or 82 years, it makes no difference. We can do that because it's God's power working through us. If that's something you'd like prayer about, please go and and, and the team will be there willing to pray for you and with you. If there's anything else that's on your mind, if you're thinking you've got an ailment that you want healing, go across to these team. This team are fantastic at healing because they represent the almighty God. So if that's on your mind, please go across this morning. But please don't sit there and slip into the worldview of, yeah, that's rubbish. That's supernatural heebie-jeebie rubbish. That's not for me. Unless I can touch it and feel it, it's not for me. You know, that is a lie. It's a wrong worldview. It's not a Christian worldview. Have a worldview that allows God to use you supernaturally.